Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. Park the Herald. No. No. So, <laughs> oh. Somehow boy. I knew that one would get you. Especially oh. the the just unsatisfactoriness of it. <laughs> oh no. Oh wow. That, that was so bad it was good. Uh, <laughs> we're all we're back for the second episode that we're recording this night, but we are speaking to the future, and to you who are watching the future, we say, Merry Christmas! Merry this, Christmas! This episode will be coming out on the Wednesday before Christmas, and so obviously uh, you are, uh, you all are so excited for Christmas. Maybe you've already begun your, your Christmas festivities with family. I know that I'm going to be, uh, the, the day this comes out, I'll be working, but the next Three days will be uh, Christmas with that. I've got a half day that I got to work for Christmas Eve for a Christmas Eve service. But for the most part, I'll be spending the rest of this week with my family uh, doing stocking stuffers, Christmas presents, Christmas movies, uh, and uh, just generally having a great time and getting packed up for our Christmas trip that we're going to be taking next week. Uh, which, you know, next week I'm, I'm really excited to be able to say where I am where I am uh, podcasting from in the, in the Ethereum. But uh, but yes, Merry Christmas to all you uh, listeners. It is hard to believe that uh, it's funny how, how much I've, how do I say this? How much I've made this part of my life, this, this podcast that mm. we do. And so in such a way that I, it's hard to believe that this is our first Christmas. Like yeah, it, it kind of feels like yeah, this it kind, has of kind of is been been part of our life for a while. But but this is We've truly our, this our first our first yeah. Christmas as a podcast, and um, we are grateful for all of you who who watch this show, um, all seven, um, and uh, but what we are we truly are no truly are grateful for the for the fact that there are people out there who value our voice and our opinion and our um words and thoughts, and uh, um. But most of all, we are grateful for the fact that our Lord came down, that God came near, drew near among us, that the the uh, transcendent one became fully eminent in Emmanuel, God with us, the the Christ child, born Jesus in uh, in a manger in Bethlehem, and. Uh, we are we are so grateful that the Lord came came to earth to um, to be with us, to preach God to us, to show us the way to the Father, to be the true uh, exegete, as John as John's gospel could be maybe more literally translated, the exegete of the invisible God came down to earth, and of course, most importantly, died bearing our sins and the wrath of God that we deserved 
and uh, rose again that we might have life everlasting. And so we are grateful for that. And that is why we do what we do is because of that gratitude to Christ. And so in light of that, we are actually going to get into uh, our, well, not now we're, we're going to be getting into uh, <laughs> Christ. See, you thought we could get right into the episode, but you forgot about one thing forgot one important thing. And that is that the curse of the rat King has not yet been completed. So we can't get right into the episode until that is done. Now chapter 11 is a short chapter. Basically we see the aftermath of Fritz having to apologize to the czar and to promise him his support. And so he will not be getting into fights with the czar's child anymore. And so the child begins putting interestingly rats in everything. It's a noticeable theme that the the czar's child keeps putting rats in Fritz's locker, rats in his lunchbox, rats in his desk, um, or just rats everywhere. And of course, Fritz, because he cannot have any retribution, has to just sort of take it. And of course, every time he reacts to the rats and his teachers make a big deal out of it, he has to just take it. And uh, it's it's uh, it's remarkable. It's really uh, it's sad. And yet you're just you, you kind of feel his pain. Um, and then in the end, uh, the guy who he gotten who stood up for in the first place is now asking for his help. And yet um, Fritz, it's kind of like it seems like he's seeing a little bit of a of a. uh What's the word I'm looking for? He sees a little bit of a of a of a a, a, a loophole, and so he's try, he's going to try and help him stand up for himself. And of course, then um, uh, Baro- we have some more training with between Baroda and Fritz, um, and uh, but also at at the end of the chapter, Fritz begins speaking to his little wooden doll. Now, the wooden doll only has some very specific pre-programmed responses, but already this little wooden character is becoming a conversant, and this seems to be pointing towards something else that's happening. Um, but there's I, I also I want to point out that there was something that I missed in Chapter 10, and I'm not going to talk about it. You're going to have to read about it yourself. I missed a, a detail. But I, I, I did it on purpose because I want you to read it for yourself because this is such a good book and you should go out and get it. Curse of the Red King, Drosselmeyer, Curse of the Red King, Paul Thompson, and uh, uh, also tag him in all of your church. Uh, Absolutely. What was your church selfies? What, what do you call them? Your church selfies, yeah. Okay. Your church selfies. Is, uh, tag him. And, I don't know about in, these things. In, include your... Uh, um, it in, include your denomination, marital status, and whether you're looking for love. Those are those are his requests. Yeah, right. uh, and and uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, Curse the Rat King by Paul Thompson, perfect last minute stocking stuffer. Absolutely. Are you looking for you're looking for a present for that book lover uh, in your life? Hey, go out, grab a copy. 
Grab it on Amazon uh, with overnight shipping, which, hey, at this point, can you really uh, be saying that you can you really say that you shouldn't be shelling out for last minute shipping? Come on. Uh, get it to your house right now. Get it. Put it in stocking stuffer. <laughs> yeah. Wrap it up. Yeah. They'll love it. Hopefully, hopefully he's shipping. If you're ordering from the continental United States, hopefully he's shipping from the continental, continental United States, because I'm assuming three weeks from now, there are still certain problems <laughs> with uh, <laughs> the supply chain. Um, <clears throat> Thanks, Biden. All right. So <laughs> although, okay. Brief rant. We cannot get it. We cannot get off because we have important things to talk about. But this would be a very brief, short rant. When okay. we said that the lockdowns were a bad idea, and you mm-hmm. said that we cared more about our 401k and our stocks than killing grandma, this is what we were talking about. Rant over. Rant over. That's all I'm saying is we were talking about supply chain shortages. So actually, thanks, Trump. Uh-oh. Now we just lost both our liberal and conservative audience. Shoot. Sure hope all this Chris yeah. Rat King also- audience pick up is going to cover it. <laughs> also, uh, if you've if you've been, uh, you know, eating out on your rants against globalism, the last two years have given you a pretty good taste of what the collapse of globalism feels like. <laughs> so, you know, yep. like... So, look, there are things to criticize about globalism, but, you know, global trade is actually really good. <laughs> and um, and uh, we've we've gotten a, a heavy dose of what it's like when when it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But. Well. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> Let's, uh, shall we get into the topic of the day? Absolutely. Uh, um, so first of all, let's, let's do a little review. First of all, um, it, check the link in the description, uh, Cambridge declaration. That is what we are, we are talking about. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, we have talked about we are going through this this document called the Cambridge Declaration um, from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, um, and our our topic that we're going to be covering hopefully over the next few weeks is um, or at least starting the conversation on toward an evangelical upgrade. So, what does it look like to upgrade evangelicalism out of this sort of simplistic, watered down, meaningless? contentless authority list thing into uh, the evangelicalism of the Protestant Reformation, what the Protestants, the Protestant Reformation who wanted to be called evangelicals, gospel people. So what was that like? And we started with the issue of authority with Sola Scriptura, the formal principle of the, Re- of the Reformation, which thanks to Patrick for, pointing that out to us getting getting formal material correct uh the formal formal uh matter of the just of of the reformations that we needed to recenter on authority and that is still the matter today 
Uh, and the, the big issue that we kept pointing out is that the, the biggest issue is that is not that evangelicals failed in, in language. It started with a failure in practical authority, practically letting scripture be your authority. And that has led to a hundred downgrades. Hundreds of ways that it's fallen short is by walking away from scripture as the authority over us. And, um, and then we're going to move on. We're going to, we're going to actually try. We are really ambitious this week. We are going to try and cover three solas. We could only cover one solo last week. We're going to try and cover three and a pre and a preamble and a preamble. Right. And the preamble, we did spend a good amount of time. We did spend a lot of time setting the stage. Um, Even on the first two sentences. And to be fair, Sola Scriptura is the foundation of everything. And so yes. if, if any of the solas make sense to spend a lot of time on, it's that one. Um, but but with if, if you've pulled up by this point the Cambridge Declaration or reading along with us, you'll notice that Sola Scri- Solus Christus and Sola Gratia are both one paragraph short statements. And uh, in many ways... That's intentional because I think the emphasis does land on sola fide because in sola fide, we are collecting the implications of solus, solus Christus and sola gratia. So it's all collected right. in sola fide, which, uh, as we said, the formal principle of the reformation was sola uh, sola scriptura. The material principle of the reformation was sola fide justification by faith alone. Um, but we can't move past it without talking about grace and about the superiority of Christ. So we're going to get into that um, a little bit here and we're going to, well, and to, to connect this to the Advent season a little for you. So you believe in the miracle. If you're a Christian, if you don't believe in the two things I'm about to mention, then you're not a Christian. So you should take care of that. But, um, (laughs) but if you're a Christian, you believe in the absolutely stunning miracle of the incarnation of the of the God of all the universe into a little baby. And you believe that that little baby grew up, had a relatively short earthly ministry, was brutally murdered at the hands of the state, and rose from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. So if you believe those things, then then you in all likelihood are a Christian and you do well. What we're calling you to is it's it's almost it almost makes sense to not believe in those two outrageously unbelievable things by natural. Like if, if we lived in a natural world, those two things would be unbelievable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those two things are the, the most striking proofs that we don't live in a natural world, that we in fact live in a supernatural world. In fact, there's so much, there's so much proof of that, that, that Paul says in the Areopagus that, that it is through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that God has, that, that in former times that he overlooked that uh, that in, in former times of ignorance he overlooked, but that now he has furnished proof to all men of the coming judgment, having raised Jesus from the dead. So that Jesus being raised from the dead is the proof that we live in a supernatural world, 
and the judgment is coming. Yeah. So if you believe those two things, what's really irrational is for you to not believe everything else. <laughs> so these, these are the shocking, unbelievable things. It, it, we, I, we have so much, because uh, we, we get, the, I don't know if you get this a lot in Iowa, but in Calgary, it's constant. Is, do you really believe that a, a man was swallowed by a whale? Well, yeah. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead, which seems harder. Yeah. <laughs> and do you really believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Well, yeah. And I believe that the God who spoke the worlds into existence became dependent on the nursing of a mother, which is harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so yeah i believe tougher stuff i believe more difficult things to believe than the than the penny ante stuff you're bringing up yeah. so 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 what we're challenging you towards is if you do believe if you if you if you do truly believe the significant in the significance of this season in the in the in the absolute miracle of the incarnation then, then everything else the Bible has to say, including including the miracle of regeneration, mm -hmm. should be an easy sell yeah. <laughs> compared yeah. to that. If you don't believe that stuff, then we we've 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 got we've got stuff to say to that. But mm -hmm. but this stuff is actually should be relatively easy to believe yeah. if you believe that stuff. Yeah, it's not interesting. Like. I can't believe you believe in a virgin birth in the virgin birth. Dude, it gets wilder than that. That baby was God. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, man, like you, you think the virgin birth is wild. That baby contained deity. That's what happened. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's true. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny. I, 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 I can't, I, I can't, I can almost never, uh, uh, I have, I, when we, we uh, we're in the Psalms and it, it says, um, uh, I can't remember the Psalm off the top of my head. I was trying to pull it up in my brain. Um, but the, the, that, if heavens and highest heavens cannot contain you, um, how, how can I build a house for you? He says in the, this is, I, know, I know that that's in, I, I believe that's in first Kings, but it's also in the Psalms. Uh, I'm trying to remember where, but anyway. Um, and, um, and when you, and, and I always, I, I always have to, I, I've, Covered that for one reason or another a couple times in in my preaching and teaching, and I I always have to stop and note it got wilder than David could have ever imagined. He was contained not in a house but a zygote. That mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> like if I can believe if I can believe that then. Mm that 
Um, that, yeah, I mean, Patrick brings up an axe head floated. Yeah, yeah, that's actually that's actually kind of kind of a minor minor point <laughs> compared to yeah. the god of all the universe became a zygote, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. lived, died, and rose again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's wild. Yeah, they they always pick out the weirdest examples, but the whole thing is crazy. <laughs> Uh, but, but hard to, hard to deny, and you have to be suppressing the truth by unrighteousness to do so, which is why we need grace and grace. I always get the vision in my head of, um, of, uh, um, being, being in a pool with like beach balls and trying to hold them under the water. It's like, it's, it's remarkably harder than it looks. And it doesn't, (laughs) it, um, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to let slip and (laughs) (laughs) there it is again. (laughs) Um, That, that, um, um, because we're made to know these things. Yeah. Yeah. We can't not know them. (laughs) Born with the sensus divinitatis, sense of the yes. divine. That's right. Um, but and that's why we need the grace of Christ to free us from our willful ignorance, and which is a perfect segue into the King's Declaration. Uh, so, so we talked about uh, sola fide. Sola Talk long fide. enough, you'll land on a segue. <laughs> sola scriptura. <laughs> Which means scripture alone. We should probably define sola. I mean, we've we've talked about it enough that I I don't feel like we have to, but sola means only. Now we've clarified that in the past that sola scriptura does not mean solo scriptura, like that right only scripture. And I think there's a point at which um, I've actually. I haven't actually brought this up, but this is kind of my justification for rejecting solo scriptura. Um, it comes from, interestingly enough, from the passage, First uh, Timothy uh, 3, the passage where we talk about scripture. Um, so you look at it and it says, okay, so I want to back up in context. 316 is kind of the famous one. Um, a lot of the ver- famous verses are 316s. Anyway, um, but as for you, I'm backing up to 14, first, second, or sorry, second Timothy 3.14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And now from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So two things we notice. One, scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Right. That's the expectation. That's the thing we zoom in on. And yet we notice he doesn't learn it by just reading it. It is told to him. Mm. Continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And of course, if you back up all the way to chapter one, you find that it, this was from his mother and grandmother who were the ones who taught him the scriptures from a young age. And then it goes on the famous passage 316. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable. So we usually stop at that part. Like scripture is breathed out by God or inspired by God. It is God inspired. God breathes the word out. Or even that word breathe could mean God spirited his word. He spired the word. That's what inspired means. He spired, breathed out God's word. So all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, Mm -hmm. for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what does it say? Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for reading privately in your room. No, that's not what it says. It is. And you should. You should read the scripture by yourself. You should read it, um, study it. But what it's really useful for is what comes after reading and studying it. For Mm -hmm. teaching, this is a verbal thing. For reproof, that's a verbal thing. It's bringing God's word and comparing it to what someone is doing and reproving them for it. For correction, that's correcting someone when they've gone astray. For training in righteousness, that is actively using God's word to train someone. And then if you think I'm going too far, chapter four is goes right into, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what does God's word as the inspired word of God, inspired written word of God demand? It demands to be proclaimed, to be preached. Now that means person to person. That means from the pulpit. And that means in written declarations and definitions and confessions and catechisms. Like what I'm saying when I say I believe in confessional documents and what I when I affirm sola not solo scriptura and say sola scriptura does not mean me and my Bible in my room, is I am denying or what I'm doing is I'm affirming that God still has something to teach us through dead preachers. Right. Through the church together, preaching dead preachers. And uh, I want to say that there's two sides of the horse we can fall off on. We can fall off on the side of me and my Bible. Like that's, that's because we are to have people preaching the Bible to us. We'd be preaching the word to each other and we are to have the word preached to us. If I'm to preach to others, then I am to have the word preached to me individually through relationships with people who are in the word, uh, corporately through the body, hearing God's word on Sunday mornings, uh, in our worship service and, uh, throughout the his throughout history, reading dead saints preaching to us. Um, So, so we 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 need to have it preached to ourselves, uh, to us, and um. Oh, where was it going? I I lost my train of thought there. Uh, I do know one thing you were also saying is that my AKA Park oh. the Herald is oh. perfect <laughs> for this content here. 
Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I I know that wasn't helping you come up with what you were trying to say. Sorry. <laughs> Just. Well, okay. So yeah, that, 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 um, the word demands to be preached and that we, okay. So, oh, right. The two sides of the horse we can fall off on. Right, right, right. Oh yes. We can fall off the horse of, of not hearing from the church as a whole, the current church and the church militant, as they call it, the church on earth, mm-hmm. as it wars against the powers of evil and hearing from the church triumphant, those who have passed into glory and have together set forth proclamations of the word in the confessions, in the creeds and uh, documents like like even in affirming that God's word alone is the authority in souls in, in, in this definition we also heard that the church affirmed a historic christian faith that was that was proclaimed in the councils right they affirmed the existence and the usefulness of councils even as they lowered their authority below scripture and yet the other side of the horse we can fall off on is the side of trust the experts like that's that's the other side we can fall off on, which yeah. is um, the that's that's the the what we try to the 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 walk we the or the the line we try to walk both on our show and uh, in our conversation with uh, Patrick from Cave to the Cross Apologetics um, in episodes one fifty one fifty one. I'm doing more promotion for their episodes one fifty one fifty one. I think than they did <laughs> uh, just because I keep bringing it up again. And again, but that's the line we try and walk is saying neither trust the experts like say, just, just wait, just let the wait for your pastor to tell you what it means. Because I think sometimes we can head in that direction too. I'll hear reformers head back in the direction of reform people saying, you know, you're asking me questions. Why are you asking me questions about the text? Go ask your pastor. Okay. That's a person to ask, but in researching you, you can ask lots of people. Like it's, it's okay to ask lots of people. Um, if you're bypassing your pastor for some podcaster, then it it, it makes a sort of sense to go back to your pastor. Um, and yet at the same time, you want to say there's a line you want to walk between trust the experts and just me and my Bible. The Mm -hmm. word is meant to be preached. And so you are meant to hear it preached, not just read it, but hear it preached from others including from the church triumphant uh, through through dead saints, through dead preachers. But also, um, you don't, don't just trust the experts. Keep a Bible in your hand as you're reading these confessions and, and, and creeds and, and definitions. If, if this definition goes astray, it should be provable by God's word. And so, you know, it's... Uh, don't fall off on either side of the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, this, this, this definition we, we appreciate about it is we think that it is preaching God's word on five important points that the evangelical church has lost. And, uh, the second thing is on the matter of the central point of our access to God, which is Christ. Solus Christus. Now, this is one where some people put solo Christo. That's not correct. Or try and fit a sola Christa. That's not right. Solus Christus. 
That's how you say it. It breaks the, uh, I know it breaks the pattern of sola, sola, but this is it. But uh, this is the proper Latin, people. Or, proper Latin. Or, or, or so loose, Christus, if you want to get fancy. But, so but loose, uh, loose, there, loose. there are, there are, there are, there are correct and incorrect ways to incorrectly pronounce Latin. And we try to do both. <laughs> yes. Uh, solus Christus. And again, what they do is they, they pair a sola with a particular error of the modern evangelical church. So solus Christus, the erosion of Christ centered faith. Now this is the one where you're like, you're half, half expected to be like, now hold up. Mm. We are so Christ centered. Christ-centeredness is just what evangelicalism is. Man, you walk into an evangelical church and you are going to hear in 500 ways, man, we are saved by Christ alone. There is no other name by which I am saved in heaven and earth. There is only one way. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we are trying to tell me that evangelicalism in the 21st century, or this is written in the 20th, late 20th century, in the year 1996, you're trying to tell me in the year 1996 or the year 2013 or 2021, whenever you're reading this from, that the evangelical church has a problem with Christ-centered faith? Okay, you're going to have to make an argument. So this is their argument. As evangelical faith becomes secularized, by which they mean what we've read in the first uh, section, that that it's moving away from God's word and more into the way of the world. As evangelical faith becomes secularized, its interests have been blurred with those of the culture. The result is a loss of absolute values, permissive individualism, and a substitution of wholeness for holiness, mm. recovery for repentance, intuition for truth, chance for providence, and immediate gratification for enduring hope. Christ and his cross have moved from the center of our vision. I, I, I think you also accidentally skipped feeling for belief there. Oh, feeling for belief. Oh, my is bad. a my huge, bad. huge one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's, so I think we can very, for one thing, we're, we're trying to cover three, so we're going to have to be very quick about this. Yeah. We can very briefly go over, I think, some of those things in that list and then try and summarize why is it, how is it that Christ and his cross have been moved from our center of our vision when we do these things? Um. So... The, the, let's, let's start with the loss of absolute values. Now, if by now, a month ago, by the time this episode comes out, uh, about a month mm -hmm. ago, uh, James Lindsay, the uh, noted anti-CRT atheist that we have, um, that that we have affirmed and opposed on various grounds, uh, he made a tweet about the word was made became flesh and in that he affirmed he said something like this me is that meaning isn't what this means is that meaning is enduring or or something to the effect of that we need to center truth and, and the enduring mm. meaning of truth instead of 
the fuzziness of it. Now, some people rightly responded. Now, that's not what that verse is saying. That's not what right. that verse is saying. That's correct. And yet, I've heard both James White and our uh, Restless, the Restless podcast that I've I've talked about how I've, I've a lot of my thinking has come from this podcast. I've heard both of them give some nuance that I think is important. And and I was kind of feeling that in the moment too. I was like, now hold on. Yes, as an atheist, he is not affirming that God became flesh. That's what actually happens in, in this moment. And yet his application is not incorrect. The fact that Jesus is the word made flesh that the the second person of the Trinity that we worship and who is the image of the invisible God, who is the exegete of God, the invisible God, he is called the word. Words carry meaning, communication. And so a Christ-centered faith has to affirm absoluteness of of meaning and of values. Um, this one, I think, I think there's a sense. Of I would say that is an appropriate. Wrong, he was not as wrong as some of the initial responders uh, made him yeah. out to be. I guess I'll say he has found an appropriate application. Yes. yes. Of that verse. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> an an appropriate inference, implication, application. Yes. Of that verse. In, um. Not the core meaning. And yes. and to mistake the two would be a mistake. But yes, to such an extent that I would say like one of my pushback, like and I never did tweet about it, I never did respond to anyone. But my um my big thing was like I was like, you know, honestly, in today's era, I might have brought that up as an inference or an implication in chapter one. Mm-hmm. I might I would not have made that the main if I were preaching through John or teaching through John. I might have made a comment on the way to say, like, here's the deal. The reason we deny so wholeheartedly this this um, idea of meaning being subjective or fungible or changeable, like the reason we reject this is because our God is the word made flesh. Mm-hmm. We are a people of the word made flesh. That is something distinct and meaningful, something that has connotations and denotations and is important and and means something became something even more concrete. Like there was a move from, you could even argue that words are less concrete than flesh, but it was like meaning made concrete. This is, this is part of the meaning of the, of the incarnation. It's not the whole does not explore the whole of it, but there's, I think there's important meaning that Jesus is called the word beyond merely saying he is the one who created everything. Like that is not the only implication of calling him the word made flesh. Yes, that is part of it. Everything clearly, clearly the word we're meant to think of is the word. Let there be. Like that based on the language of, uh, of John one. And yet he doesn't say he is the means by which creation happened. He is the word. 
And so I, I, I think they're absolutely right in saying one implication of Christ the Word being the center and, and keeping Christ the Word center is a centering on absolute values, right? How about permissive individualism? How do you, how do you see that, Jeff? Yeah, so that, that decenters Christ because ultimately the call of Christ is the call to be conformed to his image, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds um, and to and and to take up your cross and die daily mm-hmm. in in the in the in the footsteps of Jesus. So so all of these things are antithetical to permissive individuals. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and we, we as libertarians, uh, we often affirm individualism, um, but we always define that as methodological individualism. Right. It's the, it's the idea that rights, that rights and economic principles only make sense if you consider the individual, that an individual, like praxeology, right. the individual acts. Now, this doesn't mean that the individual is an island. Uh, in fact, the individual acts in line with their desires, which largely have to do with what community the individual is centered in and um, and things like that. And in fact, um, uh, Flyover Libertarian podcast, our, our sister podcast or mother podcast, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I interviewed um, my friend Isaac, who is uh, one of the... Um, people who works for the Hoppian magazine. And he talked about uh, in the episodes, uh, I believe they're called getting right with Isaac. I don't remember the numbers, but um, one of the things seven and eight, maybe. Yeah. Something like it was very early, very early. Um, One of the things we talked about was the irony that the most collectivistic viewpoints end up being very individualistic in in, in Mm. the sense of atomism. That hmm. when you collectivize people into voting blocks and you only matter insofar as you you matter to the collective, then it, it has a very alienating effect on the individual. Like they cease to matter and they become so atomized and and uh, and collectivism often results in atomization because for one thing, like a state enforced collectivization causes atomization in the sense of you don't need to get to know your neighbors or to rely on one another because the government is giving you a check and the government makes sure that everything runs polite correctly. And yet um, an individualism and a methodological individualism that respects the individual as an actor and as a person deserving of rights and and responsibilities often results in. So what, what does that individual do in acting? He trades with others. He works with or employs others. He, uh, looks to others for information. He looks to others for, for this and that the, in, in this methodological individual and respecting the individual's dignity, we could say, uh, we find, uh, what do we say to the individual who has dignity and responsibilities? We say to him, 
there is no ful- there is fulfillment found in community in like-minded and and like believing individuals and even in kin the importance of of kin of family of uh of of building a legacy this is where fulfillment is found is not in in expressing your own in individual like what do they call it permissive individualism of just getting my own yeah getting my own but in finding meaning in marriage in children in grandchildren and cousins and nephews and nieces and all that like in, in in finding your identity in your church in in leaving a spiritual legacy through discipleship and uh and, and so we want to be we, we want to clarify that wherever possible what we mean by individualism when we speak as libertarians and um, how that is not the individualism that we are denying and we are opposing when we're speaking as Christians right. because it can start to sound right. like we're being uh, schizophrenic because as Christians we deny and reject individualism that is permissive individualism uh, atomistic individualism but as a libertarian right. we affirm methodological liberal uh individualism and so right yeah so we, we want we always want to clarify that because it can again it can start to sound schizophrenic it can start to sound confusing and uh it's it's yeah yeah so so yeah in 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 libertarianism your your rights are assessed individually and and your um and and your values are allowed to be formed in your community and not assessed the way um the way the way god might being able to reach into churches, families, voluntary associations, mm-hmm. and judge individual hearts and minds that the uh, um, that the that the the state can't do that, and so that and so that we, along with Adam Smith, revile the the man of system who who believes that uh, that individuals can just be seen as individual chess pieces with 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 motions distinct to themselves um, and, and and not recognize uh, not recognize the uh, the value of those of those communities um, so it's in that sense um, it's in that sense that we are individualistic and communitarian in the libertarian sense. Yeah. That's largely because we recognize that um, that ability to um, isolate the movements all their own of the individual that um, that that is a a fatal conceit when men think 
that they can have that kind of a knowledge, that that knowledge is possible for God and that he can judge hearts, motives and emotions, um, uh, plans and intents of the heart, that, that he can do that and human governments can't. So that's it's one of the reasons we have that methodological individualism, that individual rights, rights that belong to you as an individual and not the social groups you find yourself in, <laughs> um, as, a, as opposed to, um, uh, as opposed to, uh, because it's specifically because in your relationship with God, um, that, that he can approach and judge, um, he can, um, he can see you both as part of the ultimate collective, which is to say, Adam or Jesus, <laughs> and um, um, and assess the thoughts and intentions of the heart individually. Mm-hmm. Um, that these are um, these are both things that. Um, that states pretend that they can do. They pretend that they can. Yeah. Um, they pretend that they can suss out speech conducive to the flourishing of the Republic and speech that is not conducive to the flourishing of the Republic. Or they, they pretend that they can um, have ideas and intentions and ideologies that they can that they can judge between those that are good and bad for society and they can't um i and and so ultimately this is this this distinction between um the way we approach the state and the way we approach theology is rooted in the difference between god and man yeah so unsurprisingly <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely so i don't think you meant to spend that spend that long on that but uh anyway this is the part this is the part where we occasionally remember that we're anarchists <laughs> That's um, right. instead uh, of having to occasionally remember this is a bible study <laughs> <laughs> the result is a loss of absolute values permissive individualism and a substitution of wholeness for holiness. A substitution. Now there's a substitution list that he's going to go down. A substitution yeah. of wholeness for holiness. Oh, the first time I remember hearing this and it sounded so attractive. What does shalom mean? Shalom. It means wholeness. It's an mm. internal and external and a and a whole way of life and the whole it's just a fuzzy wuzzy thing of shalomity all around you and oh my gosh it means peace. It means peace. Like that's that's what it means. It means peace. Oh my gosh, the spiritualization of that word that has happened oh my especially among Pastoral care as a, oh my goodness, pastoral care as a discipline is important as a 
sorry, hold on. As a act is important. As a intellectual discipline is a mm. slaps the hood. You can fit so much heresy into this baby. Like that is what yeah. spiritual. Sp- okay, spiritual formation, pastoral care. Uh, into maybe a le- and of course, uh, to a maybe lesser extent, uh, homiletics, and uh, of course, youth ministry. You have been, they have been able to slip so much heretical new agey garbage and pseudo psychological nonsense into the church through those four disciplines that should have never existed as an intellectual discipline. It should always have been a practical outworking of the main four disciplines like exegesis, biblical theology, systematic theology, historical theology. That's all we ever needed as academic inf- int- uh, as academic studies. But when we started adding PhDs, we were like, well, some people aren't intellectual. We need to find doctors for the rest of these people and we need to fill up the uh, seminary coursework because we think that we need to fit everything a pastor needs to do into three years of seminary instead of getting them theologically ready and then setting them under a mentorship of someone who's actually in the field. And that's where you're going to learn how to do pastoral care and stuff. I was going to say the, the mistake was in thinking that a seminary could be vocational training, right? Right. But that that's be, not how it's supposed to work. That the best place to deal with this is in a is in a classroom. And so of course for there to be a classroom there has to be a discipline including people getting PhDs and demons and eds in these area which means having to write a thesis which means having to provide some uh something unique to the field. You know like or whatever there there the whole thing of dis- of dissertations and thesis and, and like and man, just the pseudo psychological psychobabble that goes on, especially in those in, in spiritual formation and in pastoral counseling or pastoral care or whatever they could call it. Wholeness. This idea that I need to be emotionally whole and spiritually whole. Spiritual is just one part of the component. And the problem with the church is we only focus on one aspect because that's our job. Yeah. Our job is to focus on the spiritual component, but we also need the psychological and the emotional. No, we don't. We're going to talk about sin and ju- and repentance and holiness, and we're going to let the rest figure itself out. Like there's, there's this... Wholeness instead of holiness is is the perfect summary of the problem with the modern pseudo-psychological moralistic therapeutic deism of our day. It's exactly exactly what happens. And it's a Christless Christianity. It's a Christ-plus psychology sort of approach to things that, um, yeah, garbage shalom means peace that's what it means shalom means peace done (laughs) do you a favor that's oh my goodness just in a hebrew to hurt someone anyway recovery for repentance what is that one all about jeff 
yeah. So the idea that's that this this is the Hertz habits and hangups formulation. This is the this is the um, you may have done things. Things may have been done to you. Um, we're gonna box those all all together as recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, and we're going to talk about. I mean, in very, I I, I heard it in very in the evangelical megachurches I was around in very 12-steppy languages, uh, language, which um, which is like Christian principles that got secularized, yeah. got run through that cycle a few times, yeah. and then get reintroduced into the church. The same as the Walmart thing we talked about last episode, <laughs> where where Sam Walton took principles from evangelicalism, Mm -hmm. ran them through the Walmart cycle a few times, and then pastors start implementing the Walmartized evangelicalism as a, or an evangelicized Walmartism Mm -hmm. as a Mm -hmm. Walmartized evangelicalism. Um, And, and we're doing the same thing with the, with the 12 steps, which, um, which I, I, I haven't done a deep dive on the 12 steps, but it seemed like they had um, started from a solid theological foundation, but then, but then got laundered through mm. <laughs> secularism <laughs> um, to, yeah. the, to the point that they were basically useless. And then I don't yeah. mean useless in the sense that people didn't actually benefit from them, right, right. but I mean in that they don't, come with the power and authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when, when you already have, so, so, okay, sorry, let me express myself clearly. The value of the 12 steps is, is to get secular people who do not believe in God to do something as close to repentance as possible. It's kind of what they were. Yeah. So then, so then we don't need to wash those back into the church. We already have yeah. a doctrine of repentance. And and yeah. and we don't we don't need to reintroduce um the secularized version. Mm-hmm. And and um and so I think I think that's been a huge problem to the to the approach to counseling, the approach to the deepest problems in people's lives has been um, to treat it as either abuse recovery or addictions recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and in both so, cases, the party is essentially neutral, right? It's something that happened to them. Um, uh, a thing that happened to them, if they can just get rid of this addiction, then they're okay. 
Yeah. Ultimately, what's underneath there is still something good. They just need to remove this addiction, or they're uh, they're they've been abused. It's something that happened to them. Like we are never the active sinner. Like okay, so recovery. Okay, there's there's sort of two ap- aspects of it, two uh, directions you could approach. Either the, as you're saying the ch- the the recovery uh, in in the, in the twelve steps process, which I think makes I think is what they mean. Um. And and I have a love hate relationship with the twelve step recovery sort of thing. Um, love in the sense that ah there are some dear saints in my church who are here because of celebrate recovery. Like via Alcoholics Anonymous and NA, um, AA and NA, they came to celebrate recovery, and it's like they went from the semi religious 12 step process into the specifically Christian celebrate recovery, but it's still 12 steps based into the church itself. And they are true lovers of Jesus. And so it was through this. And and some of these people, they were like, you know, I would never step foot in the church, but AANA led me to a belief in a higher power. And so the Lord used that organization to bring people not only out of addiction, but into a relationship with Jesus Christ, faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And I have seen it work enough times that makes me think something is happening there. However, I can't help but believe two things. First of all, we should be able to do better in the same way that a fountain should do better than a trickle. Like they're at best getting something that's a dirtied version of the stream further and further away from the fountain. We should be able to do better for addicts to tell them to bring them closer to instead of recovery, repentance. Like there's, there, there are aspects of the 12 steps that are, clearly come from scripture because there he is clearly yes. a person the, the first uh formulation of aa was done in a christian context and he may be to and he took it out of a lot of the christianized language out of it in order to appeal to unbelievers and bring them in but clearly it came from scripture now here's here's something that i i actually meant to say in the first sola that is my problem with it my problem is, first of all, I'm okay with Christianese and I'm tired of acting like I don't. Like, like it's <laughs> otherwise. I'm tired of acting otherwise. I'm okay with Christianese. This whole idea that we need to replace our language with language that the culture understands, I don't know. I don't care for it. If the Christianese is closer to the biblical truth, we're going to use the Christianese. Right. I love the word fellowship that is the closest word that we've got to koinonia commonness this is what what community in the biblical word commonness that we have a fellowship that we are united not only in in friendship but in what we are united around this is a beautiful word and i think we should keep it and stop watering it down by using the world's words sin Keep that word. I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I love Christianese and I'm tired of acting otherwise. If we have a Christian word 
coming from the Christian religious tradition that is tailored to and created out of the mold of God's word, we shouldn't have to ditch that in order to please the world. Let's teach them how to use our words instead of letting them teach us how to use theirs. That's one of my biggest well, problems with the 12 step. So program. much, so much of even the, the big whiffs in, um, in, in like when the NIV and the NLT make their biggest whiffs in translation is when they're trying to update the language and they lose words like flesh with the intentional double meaning between yeah. the skin suit I've got and my sinful human nature. Mm-hmm. And that's intentional. And there are places in the Bible where if you try to translate it one way or the other, you're going to distort the meaning yeah. because the author is playing with that meaning intentionally. <laughs> um, yeah. And Absolutely. And, and, and so what we, what we do, this got thrown out to me in, in Bible college as, as, um, well, so there was a missionary went to this place in the Amazon. They lived right near the banks of the Amazon. Um, and, and for them, uh, they they built their houses by driving poles deep into the sand. So for them, a wise man would build his house on the sand and a foolish man would build his house on the rock. So then when you're going to go do Jesus's parable, how should you translate that? You should translate it the other way around. To, and I go, no, no, you shouldn't. You should translate it the way it's in the Bible. And then teach them. Yes. Original context of the passage. And why in first century Palestine, one would build their house on a rock and not on sand. And we should do that too. Yes. (laughs) That's not just a missionary thing. (laughs) That's, that's, that's a, that's something North Americans need too. We yeah. need to be told when our assumptions of, of the way things, so that actually when we run into something that seems upside down and backwards in the Bible, that that should be a chance for us yes. to reorient ourselves to the worldview yeah. of Scripture. Yeah. And sometimes it's superficial, like rock and sand, and sometimes it's much more fundamental. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And okay, so we got to keep going though. The other okay, yeah. the other reason. Okay, so the other reason I have a problem with uh with recovery groups is because recovery is a sorry replacement for repentance because repentance comes with a hope of full transformation that's my biggest problem with recovery groups is i once an alcoholic always an alcoholic this i'm always uh an addict i'm always an addict just just i you know i'm one bad day away from 
going back. Which is how you end up with revoice, by the way. It's how you end up with Mm -hmm. gay Christians. Yeah. It's how you end up with. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, This idea that I can be, you know, uh, non-practicing. But yeah, no, no. Repentance comes with the hope of transformation of of actual grace. Um, yeah, intuition for truth. That's the next trade that they make intuition for truth. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how much we have to beat this one. I, uh, this it's, it's a simple fact that like this idea that I, f- what I feel to be true is what's true instead of, um, what's true. But we talked about that a lot in, in the last episode, you know, this idea that Especially, my emotions, no, I, mean, I feel deeply. Yeah, I feel deeply yeah. upset was 35, that, five, I think that too. Um, but also just the last episode where we talked about this, your emotions are what's true. You know, my meaning, my truth is what I feel. No, your emotions are wrong. If your emotions are not yeah. in re- line yeah. with, tr- with reality, then they're wrong. And yeah, yeah. So both of those episodes are a good place where we talked about that feeling likewise for feeling with belief and belief. <laughs> Oof. That's a that's a big one. Like belief is not, yeah. It's, it's a feeling. It's a it's a confidence. Like I I believe that I believe you means I am confident that what you say is true. It's not a feeling. It's not a sense. Like a, faith is not an emotion. We so often treat it like an emotion, which is why which on which is is part of the reason why doubt becomes so devastating. It's because it's a doubt. It, it, it is a shake of your emotional core, and if if faith is a is a feeling, something that you that, then that then when it ebbs, you can doubt whether or not you're saved, which is why you have in the evangelical world the the widespread practice of getting saved 50, 60, 70, 100 times. Yeah. Because every time you have to have a new faith or you have to renew your faith, that that concept is one of the concepts that I um, believed and practiced for so long. And that now I look back, I'm like, what the crap was that? That that means nothing. Renew my faith. Like faith is just like, the whole point of faith is that it has nothing to do with. And this is where we're centering Christ, where we're decentering Christ with both of these, is that faith had nothing to do with me and had everything to do with him. My faith in Christ is that what saves me is not my faith. What saves me is Christ. I am taking a hold of Christ by faith. And whether it's a weak faith or a strong faith, that doesn't change the object of my faith or the effectiveness of the object of my faith, salvation of me. And so ironically, in order to try and like really like the subjectification of faith was is always an attempt to affirm or to bring a stronger sense of um, assurance. And yet we undermine assurance by effort, by trying to push assurance. Well, think of it this way. A couple renews their vows. First time, fine. <laughs> if the first time is six months after they get married, though, not a great sign for the yeah. future of that marriage. And if it continues to happen every three to six months from then on, yeah, that marriage isn't going to last. No. You can pretty much take it to the back, right? 
yeah. <laughs> the 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 idea that your vows didn't take, which I don't I don't think that's what's behind renewing your vows. I no. When it's done once, twenty five years after the first time or something. <laughs> or even, I don't think that's the idea behind renewing there could be a, I, I think it's fine. There could be a sense that if you want to make a tradition out of privately reaffirming, like going back to those vows you made on your wedding day and reminding each other, like on your anniversary or something like that, reminding each other and reminding each other that that that's still true. But what that what that does, that reaffirmation of vows is not something is lacking and now I'm bringing it back. It is Right. Something is still there and reminding ourselves yes. that it's still there. I'm still keeping my vows. I'm still holding to these vows. I'm still, but, but when we say reaffirmation of faith, what means that what we mean is that my faith f- fell in something that's not mm-hmm. there anymore. It would be like reaffirming vows because I cheated on my wife. That's not reaffirming vows. It's making them all new because I broke the vow. And so, mm-hmm. That that whole concept, like really, just the whole point of of belief is it is not a feeling; it is a, a certainty, not a certainty uh, of my own faith. Like that's that's like we're putting faith in my own faith is often what we're doing, right? I'm putting faith in my faith. My ability to believe in Jesus is what I'm putting faith in. But really, when I put my faith in Jesus, what I'm saying is that great prayer of of the father lord i believe help me overcome my unbelief i know there's lacking in my faith that's why it's all about you that's why i'm putting my faith in you is because i know you are something better than my fickle faith than my fickle affections my fickle emotions so instead of instead of renewing your faith every six months every six months or so watch the D.A. Carson sermon, where he talks about the foundation of our faith being in the blood that they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. And and if if you if you haven't seen it, then if Randy remembers, it will be linked below this episode, I'm sure. But yeah. but but I will I will give a very lacking rendition quickly where he explains that um that the first passover is is coming and there are these these two jews smith and brown remarkable jewish names that's his joke i'm just stealing um and and uh and and they're 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 talking to each other and and uh and and the one is is very terrified of the angel of death coming and and isn't sure that everything's going to be okay and and the other and the other says bring it on i trust in the promises of god they both put the blood over their door they both go to bed that night who loses their child the answer is neither because it's not about the intensity of the faith. It's about the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead of 
renewing your faith every six months. Watch that clip every six months. Yes. <laughs> You'll do better. <laughs> uh, you want? Hold on. Do you want to see me flex? Okay. See me flex. Can you quote it in its entirety? Is that what you're about to do? <laughs> I was there. Oh, you were there. I was there nice. when the first sermon, <laughs> when that sermon was first given. I was there when he looks uh, on his screen, on your screen, you're watching it and he looks that way. He is looking in my direction. Uh, that was at the uh, Bethlehem Pastors Conference. And uh, that's where I, I would go up with, uh, with, with my pastors, a uh, group of pastors. I would go up and, and I was there and every one of us were like, it was really rude of D.A. Carson to come to Piper's Conference and upstage him like that. <laughs> because we were like, yeah, Piper was good. <laughs> But my goodness, D.A. Carson brought it. And, <laughs> and that, that, and, and uh, he's actually in that passage, in, in that sermon, he is uh, uh, preaching on Revelation 7, which I'm, I'm very excited to get to. Um, yes. Is the blood. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their yeah. lives even to death. And yeah, I agree. That is one of the, best little sermonette portions ever on assurance of faith and yeah go to that absolutely chance for providence um so you i'm know. glad you got to get some of your uh, midwest supremacy in there right. and uh right. and flex that you were at that right. conference that i was at the conference <laughs> when i'm having yeah that's right <laughs> uh chance for providence um i don't know how much we've do, do you have things to say on that well this is this is this is this is the unfortunately all too common someone someone dies and the evangelical pastor stands up at the funeral and says just too bad hmm. and either says i've heard it said or implies that god had nothing to do with the death of his saint hmm. Okay. I've heard it outright said at oh. at at funerals. Uh, we do um, not affirm that here on the Anarchist Bible Study. <laughs> no. Uh, um, whether the death of his saints or or the death of anyone. <laughs> um, when he removes his breath. Uh, did I? Yep. So. So there, I think it's Sproul who says, um, there is not a rogue molecule yeah. in God's creation. That's right. And, um, and, uh, and so that, that I'm glad, I do feel like I'm hearing that less uh -huh. than, than I did, and and maybe that's a maybe it's a Calvinism. Maybe that's geographical. Maybe it's maybe it's just the um uh maybe it maybe it's that the weakness of that after nine eleven, after a financial crash, crash after twenty years of death and 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 seemingly senseless death in Afghanistan um, after um, and, and, and now COVID 
um, that that a faith that said that God had nothing to do with all this would be seen to be as worthless as it is. Because yeah. a, a God that has nothing to do with evil has nothing much to do mm-hmm. with everyday life. Yeah. I, I'm as I, as we're talking about the erosion of Christ centered faith, I'm seeing the erosion of my dream of getting three solos done. Um, <laughs> we just have more, we have too much to say. Uh, immediate gratification for enduring hope. Man, that's the one more than anything. If I had to say, like, the biggest problem that I've seen, even in my own experience, even growing in my experience, my short time experience in ministry, a full time ministry, I've seen that is this this um more and more and more the case. And if it's more and more the case for who I'm ministering to, I can't imagine the people who had to, those poor souls who had to minister to me. <laughs> you know, like that, that's true. It's a re it's a decentering of Christ who says your suffering has meaning and your suffering is in, is, is enduring suffering and, and, uh, has purpose and that ultimately what we are looking for, maybe this is what's interesting. I remember this is something that I heard a lot uh, early on in my ministry training is this idea that we need to stop talking about heaven. Like we need to stop, not, not like because we don't believe in heaven, but because like if all, oh, all our salvation is for us for heaven sometime in the future, like it has nothing to do with the here and now, and and what's interesting, uh, and they would they would phrase it high in the sky by and by when you die. Yeah. That's how and if you phrase, yeah, and if you phrase in the sense of an over an over emphasis in the past, that is true, and if you've stated it in a theological overemphasis, like you know what, there are things that there's meaning for now. Uh, as well as future, but they would always say it like this. You know, people don't want to hear about someday. They want to know how does Jesus have an, have a, an effect on their now. I don't really care to feed into that. Mm-hmm. If what they want to know is how does Jesus uh, interact with their here and now, I'm going to preach heaven harder. I'm going to preach harder. You know, you know what you need in the here and now? A promise that when you die, you will not go to hell. You know what your marriage needs more than anything? An eternal perspective. You know what your family life, you know what you as a parent, as a father, as a mother need? Is to remember that you are caring for souls that will last forever. Like, I, I don't think our problem is that we preach too much about heaven. I think we preach too much an escapist view of heaven instead of a view of heaven as motivation for obedience and, and growth and holiness. And also patience. Oh, we need patience. That is, that is how Paul roots the blessed hope. Yeah. Is that, well, he says, that um, 
that he is a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of the elect of God and their knowledge of the truth that is in keeping with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, has promised before the ages begin. Yeah. So, and I won't, I won't keep going. I preached on this passage, so I, I but so, but, uh, um, uh, but rather than there's there's 35 minutes more of that if you if you want it, um, <laughs> but um, but uh, um, but yeah, that so. So the, the truth that accords with godliness is set upon the hope of eternal life. So that, so that Paul expects your godliness to be rooted in knowing, because God can't lie, and he's promised before the ages began <laughs> um, this eternal life. So then... So then, why lie for temporary advantage when you're going to stand before the truth? Yeah. Yeah. It's it is light and momentary affliction now in exchange for eternal weight of glory. <laughs> what an awesome trade. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I do think that's That goes hand in hand with all this therapeuticization <laughs> is is you want to make you want to wallow almost in the weight of afflictions that the scriptures call light and momentary mm -hmm. when The, the true power in affliction for a Christian, the true comfort in affliction, is, is to see that it is infinitely worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to Ultimately, ultimately, you can't, if, if, if meaning and significance come from the 
positivity that you can feel in the here and now because you're a follower of Jesus. Then that, that is the ultimate diminishment of my pain when I'm having real pain. Not, not because uh, not pain because I got rejected by a girl again or something. But, but the, the pain that can only come from getting the girl, marrying the girl, having a girl, and losing a girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watching your child dead on a table. Mm-hmm. 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 If you don't have something to tell me to make that worth it, because mm-hmm. you can't positive that up. You can't tell me how much of an overcomer I am. You can't tell me, you, you, you can't, you can't tell me that I'm a child of the king in the here and now and make that feel better. Mm-hmm. So that ultimately this therapeuticism has nothing to say to the deepest pains of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the gospel does. Yeah. That's what makes it great news. Yeah. And I, th- I think maybe ultimately the biggest problem, like, like uh, Patrick brings up in the chat, um, just as people bifurcate the body and the soul and say, oh, your body is nothing. The same over or under focus can be made of heaven. And I, and I think may, and, and I think, I think you're even onto something, Patrick, in your, in your metaphor that like, really, we need to look for those overarching concepts that cover both. Yes. What is that speak to here and now and speak to eternity? Yes. Concepts like yes. resurrection, where we participate in the resurrection power through the spirit in this life. And we are growing in that resurrection experience of that resurrection power through growing in holiness. And yet we will ultimately experience it in the resurrection yes. or, or even honestly, all the salvation concepts have at least a piece of this already but not yet but like especially things like resurrection and maybe like union with christ is another good one like it has meaning for now i have all the current uh current salvation current benefits of salvation justification adoption spirit and dwelling now i'm growing in holiness but also i will one day be experienced this union with Christ in the fullest and deepest sense. And, and, uh, and I think these overarching categories also are remind us of the motivation to continue to pursue and to grow in this. I think, um, ultimately I think the biggest problem is that we don't preach all of it. Like, like Patrick said, that's why the call is to preach the whole counsel of God. Yes. All of it. I am saved. I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. I 
am saved right now. I am saved from wrath. I am saved from alienation. I am saved from separation. I am saved from enmity to God. I have been saved. Christ died for me. God chose me. God predestined me. God sought me and called me and converted me. I am being saved right now from the power of sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin. As the song goes, uh, we, he sets the captives free. We, I am being saved from the power of sin in my life. And I will one day be saved from death, the effects of sin, the effects of this sinful fallen world forever. And the whole council needs to be proclaimed. If ever we find ourselves overemphasizing one aspect because we think that's what our people need to hear, we are begging to fall off the horse on the other side. We need to keep preaching the whole counsel of God. And note, like, this is where the centrality of the scriptures is inseparable from. Note that yeah. Paul never does this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he doesn't stop preaching. Right. He moves right he into says, contemporary aspects. Yeah. Which moves into the future so, aspects. Yes. So, so, so he says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and, and it, it, it says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because he says, and I'm skipping here, but I'm driving towards it. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Can I tell you? So, more? yeah. So the so that that's where you, that yeah. resurrection power that's going to happen to you when you die. It's also the same resurrection power that is letting you live according to the spirit now. Yeah. And this is uh, this I uh, can I tell you that my favorite moment in youth his in youth ministry was when I was teaching through Romans uh, to my, not my first, but my second youth group. And we were, we got to that verse. And I remember guy, uh, one of, one of my students, he was one of my best students. Like he was um, looking to maybe even at some points he was even considering going into ministry himself. I remember watching him make the connection being like, wait, hold on. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. So that spirit is, <laughs> I'm like, 
keep going, bro. Keep going. <laughs> and that, that beautiful moment of like, you realize like, this is no small thing. This fact that the spirit of God is in me, that's resurrection power. Right. That's hope for, for victory over sins. That's hope for the here and now that's hope for endurance, but even more it's hope for the future. The one who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. He will certainly raise you. Like as certainty, you already got that thing pumping in your veins. You're going to get, you are going to get raised on the last day. Like you can't like as, as important as justification by faith alone is, and it is very important. And we'll be going to be getting to that next episode because it's clear. We are not getting to that uh, this episode, <laughs> next episode, or maybe even the episode after that, to be honest. Uh, but, but as it's a very important teaching for so many reasons, but it's just as important that we don't stop there. Yes. And, In some ways, that is kind of the problem of the uh, of the new Calvinists. Like um, John Piper, love him, have said good things about him in his uh, sermon on what is a new Calvinist, and he he did this at Westminster Theological Seminary. He did, gave this chapel on what is new Calvinism, and good for him. <laughs> Giving that sermon at at Westminster Theological Seminary, uh, the heart of old Calvinism, uh, he went and did this. Uh, but he, one of the things he talked about was he clearly a theme that clearly came out of that sermon is he thought a renewed emphasis on justification by faith alone was going to be enough to hold them all together. And the truth is, you can't do much on a clean slate. And that is in many ways what justification by faith is, is giving you. Yes, it's more than that. It's not just forgiveness. It's also righteousness of Christ, his, his obedience imputed to us. And yet that's a static thing. It's a declaration. It's a thing that happens once. If you don't see the way that that moves into the other aspects of salvation, that that leads to adoption, which leads to spirit and dwelling, which leads to sanctification, then you are not going to walk in the power that justification gives you. We can't separate any aspect of salvation out of the whole picture of salvation. On the upside, all of that stuff is in Romans 8. So, yes. Let's read it. <laughs> all we're saying is study Romans 8. Uh that's your that's that if we all 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 let's bring it home. That's uh, the, the, the if the theme of of the last two episodes was if only we read or sorry, the two episodes before these two was if only they read Deuteronomy. Uh, the summary of these two episodes is if only we read Romans eight. Yep. There we go. <laughs> so so, Jeff, I aimed for three and we got one. Uh, <laughs> but let's conclude the way we concluded last time. Maybe it's okay. It's okay to go one at a time. These are these are meaty. These are important. Um, we don't want to skim it. Um, but let's end the same way we've, we've ended the last one with the affirmation and the denial of the of the declaration. We affirm thesis two solus Christus. We reaffirm. That our salvation is accomplished by the mediatorial work of the historical Christ alone. His sinless life 
and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to the Father. We deny that the gospel is preached if Christ's substitutionary work is not declared and faith in Christ and his work is not solicited. There it is. Uh, this will please the new Calvinist, the gospel-centered type. And uh, because this is true, like we don't want to tear down that fence either. That, that the gospel must necessarily include the substitutionary work of Christ. His work on our behalf. His action on our behalf. Not just the substitutionary atonement on the death, but the substitutionary resurrection. Forget that. It's a substitutionary resurrection. He was also raised on our behalf so that we might be raised. He was obedient on our behalf that we might have his obedience credited to our account. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit on our behalf that we might be filled with the Spirit of Christ and walk in newness of life. And, uh, let us be word and Christ centered people. All of the word and all of Christ. And, uh, yeah. Any last words? Brother Jeff. I, I think that, uh, I think that covers it is, uh, yeah. Keeping, keeping Christ and his cross at the center of our vision. I think that, I, I think that is a, a good way of putting it is that it's, it's so easy to turn to the right or the left yeah. in 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 chasing other things and and you uh, and you uh, and you think I'm I'm still I'm still headed towards the cross <laughs> but uh but uh here here's our here's our Lord of the Rings reference. It's it's a uh, it's like um, um, the uh, the Barrow Wood um, before they run into Old Man Willow, where uh, where you just little more to the left, little more to the left, little more to the left, and 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 suddenly you're not headed in yeah. the direction you thought you were, um, and. Um, and that uh, that's so easy. That's so easy. That's so easy to do. That you, that you um, yeah. You will go where you fix your eyes. So fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Well, um, it almost feels uh, sacrilegious to break this moment and uh, tell you to like, subscribe, follow, uh, <laughs> rate five stars, uh, take your focus off Christ for a moment and look at how great we are. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you for, again, like Christmas. YouTube's no longer counting the dislikes, so dislike us all you want. <laughs>
<laughs> uh, Christmas is coming this week. Uh, uh, spend some, but seriously, spend some time. Uh, we remember Christ. This is a perfect time to talk about Solus Christus. Spend some time meditating on Christ. Get you know, enjoy the presence, enjoy the family, enjoy the eggnog. Oh, enjoy the eggnog, uh, because it is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Uh, but most importantly, remember the most great gift is that Christ Himself walked among us. He has come among us, Emmanuel, God with us, and center Christ and His cross in your vision. Set your eyes on him and walk to him. And uh, thank you for uh, letting us be part of your life for as long as you've been following us. And uh, and uh, yeah. Join us again next week when we take Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. Grace and peace. Grace and peace in Christ alone. <laughs>